welcome to episode 1 of MMI Podcast, Mental Health During Crisis and Pandemics. Hope that you would enjoy this episode and do watch this space as we provide you with more episodes to come. Also, do follow us on Facebook at Malaysian Medics International or our website malaysianmedics.org to know more of our interesting projects. Welcome to the first episode of our first ever MMI podcast series, Mental Health During Crises and Pandemics. I am Siva, and today's episode is Alone, the Future Unknown. Today, we have invited Dr. Cindy Nyap here with us, who is a senior lecturer for psychiatry at Monash University, Malaysia. She's going to share with us about how to cope with loneliness and anxiety in the midst of this COVID-19 crisis. So welcome, Dr. Cindy. Glad to have you here. Hi, Siva. How are you? I'm fine. How are you, doctor? Good for now. Okay, that's nice to hear. So it's been 17 days since Malaysia implemented their nationwide movement restriction order. I still remember how it all started on the 16th of March when the announcement was made. Dan untuk itu, kerajaan memutuskan untuk melaksanakan Perintah Kawalan Pergerakan mulai 18 Mac 2020 di seluruh negara. That was a shocking announcement, wasn't it, Doctor? Yes, of course. And in addition to the pre-existing international travel ban, they also enforced an interstate ban around the same time, right? Right, right. And nobody was supposed to go anywhere. It was a mess. Yeah, I agree with you. So, the trigger was mainly due to the first two COVID-19 deaths because that was when the alarm bell started to ring. So, I wanted to share a story with you, Dr. Cindy. I was walking home from my institution and just stopped by at Eon. I guess I wanted to see the real picture of panic buying because I'd been seeing it online. And alas, the rumors were true. The aisles were becoming half empty and the rows between them were filled up with people and trolleys. Since then, the streets have become really quiet, especially during the night. Shops have closed down and public transportation services have been minimized. And then, the movement restriction order was extended. So doctor, just out of curiosity, how has self-isolation been like for you so far? Well, Siva, to be frank, it has been really difficult for me, especially for the first week. I found myself overwhelmed and lost, having to juggle a few things really, like uh, working at home and work has gone online, housework, childcare, homeschooling my children, all at the same time. And uh, But gradually, I began to sort of adjust to this new routine. I wouldn't say that by uh, week three, you know, I wouldn't say that I'm doing great, but at least I'm feeling less of control. I see. I hope that this is going to get better for you and better for us. And in my case, I have been having trouble with structuring my day, especially since most of my activities just involve facing the computer screen, like doing online coursework or online classes with Zoom. So this lack of variety in my daily schedule, I can't really differentiate between day and night. And sometimes I sleep really late, like at 5am in the morning. And sometimes it gets... Sorry. Yeah, 5am is really 
early, not late. Yeah. <laughs> I see. Uh, okay. And sometimes it gets like kind of boring, you know. But I'm really lucky to be here with my family and pets. And I definitely think that these are more difficult times for people who stay alone or are away from their home. Yeah. So, doctor, just to continue, as a medical student, I have encountered medical quarantine in hospital placements. Mm-hmm. For example, when TB patients were kept in isolation rooms to prevent spread to the staff and other patients. And I've also heard stories from my mother about the Japanese encephalitis outbreak in 1997, which only heavily involved certain areas in Malaysia, such as Bukit Plandok in Negeri Sembilan. And then there was the H1N1 infection, right? Mm-hmm. Where everyone was asked to wear masks in school and at work. But as I recall, there has never been a situation where we are asked to quarantine ourselves all over the world to the extent that now it has disrupted everything that we normally do. So it makes me wonder, has there been a time in history where humans had to self-isolate themselves in large groups, similar to the current situation? Well, um, I I did some research. So, Mm -hmm. uh, but let's get the terminology clear first. So quarantine is the restriction on the movement of people who are potentially infected in order to prevent the spread of diseases. So what we're seeing now, like uh, the movement control orders or stay-at-home orders, they are mass quarantine strategies to suppress an epidemic or pandemic. So people are basically forced to stay at home except for essential tasks or going to work in essential businesses or fields. Whereas isolation uh, in the medical sense means separation of people diagnosed with contagious disease from others who are healthy. But however, nowadays, these two terms may be used interchangeably, isolation quarantine. So notable medical quarantines in history uh, that I found was uh, the 1972 Yugoslavian smallpox epidemic. Uh, They managed to mitigate that by mass quarantine and vaccination. And um, something more recent like the 2003 SARS outbreak, 2009 swine flu, where there were travel precautions and city-wide quarantine measures. And uh, the latest, I think, would be the 2014 Ebola outbreak, if I'm not wrong, where they quarantined several West African villages. However, um, that there is no mass quarantine to the degree of this current COVID-19 pandemic that I know of involving nationwide movement restrictions in many countries all around the world. I see. So... First of all, thank you for clarifying between the terms quarantine and isolation. And I'm kind of surprised that this has never happened before. So this is an unprecedented situation then. So as we all know, humans are social beings and it is against our nature to be without human interaction. So if the movement restriction order ends in mid-April, the people of Malaysia would have been in social isolation for a month. And that's a really long period. So what sort of effects does self-isolation or this lack of human interaction have on our mental health for such a long period? Well, in the context of mass quarantine in these modern days, social isolation would mean lack of direct human interaction. 
but we know we do have the luxury of maintaining virtual virtual human connections, you see, through social media and whatnot. Nevertheless, never undermine the importance and benefits of direct human interaction. For people who are uh, socially isolated now in this COVID-19 pandemic, uh, most of them are healthy, some may live alone, some are unfortunately separated from families and were unable to return home in time. So for those group of people, there may be an absolute lack of direct human interaction. So what would they experience over time is, of course, loneliness. They may be grieving over the loss of an active pre-quarantine lifestyle, more so especially for those who are previously socially active. They may have this sense of helplessness, you know, there's nothing they can do to change the situation, a sense of hopelessness, not knowing what will happen in the near future. Some of us may be really bored and uh, most of us might feel a sense of detachment from people outside of our family, the outside world. And um, if this goes um, worse, the person may feel uh, depressive symptoms, uh, suicide may happen, and there are uh, studies that show that among the elderly, they may have poor cognitive outcomes. So, uh, but having said that, uh, I'll also like to highlight those who are in actual medical quarantine. Uh, what I mean is people who have suspected illness or recent contact with a COVID positive case. So for this type of people, uh, some of them are you know laymen, some of them are healthcare workers. They would have natural reactions like fear of the unknown and uh, anticipatory anxiety. A lot of them will go through feelings like confusion, anger, like why me, why now, why why is this happening? So when they are quarantined because of a medical reason, they are separated from the usual sources of social support. And knowing that they already have the natural reactions of stress, uh, this social isolation will further hinder their coping abilities. And these natural reactions may escalate into something more sinister like depression, clinical depression, um, and post-traumatic stress disorder. I see. Okay, so basically this lack of human interaction is hard on normal people and is harder on the weaker population or the ill population. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So just to move on now, um, just now you mentioned uh, several infections or epidemics such as uh, smallpox, SARS outbreak, the Ebola and the swine flu. And to add on to that, long, long time ago, there was the bubonic plague and the Spanish flu. So, our ancestors have actually been through several ti- several times of self-isolation before, but yet it seems that this evolutionary changes of time just has not caused any effect. I mean, has not prevented us from cause- having effects on social isolation. So, to just support that, Malaysia has opened up their Talian Kasi helpline with an increase in volunteers to provide counselling services to people who suffer from emotional distress and breakdown during the MCO period. 
And I've been seeing news about the spike in calls to the mental health crisis hotlines in various countries like the UK, the US. So why haven't we adapted yet? Why are the effects of social isolation still working on us? Well, Siva, I guess what I can say is humans are hardwired to interact with others. And therefore, the old adage, no man is an island. So although relationships can be a source of stress for some people, they are also our greatest source of comfort and support. Well, in this modern era, we, we are probably more well equipped to deal with social isolation compared to our ancestors from the past due to the presence of effective technology. But however, this plus point of virtual connectedness can also be the precursor of other problems, including adverse psychological effects. Okay. I see. So in relation to what you have just said, um, has there been any studies done about self-isolation or medical quarantine? And have they found any associations between self-isolation and mental health effects? Yes, there are a lot of uh, studies related to medical quarantine uh, from those epidemics and pandemics that we talked about earlier. But uh, the most recent one to note is a, a, a review on the psychological impact of quarantine and how to reduce it pertaining to uh, this recent COVID-19 situation and it was published in the Lancet in February 2020. So uh, in this review, they uh, found 3,000 plus papers but only 24 studies were reviewed. Uh, and this was uh, studies over 10 countries and were related to things like SARS, Ebola, H1N1, and so on and so forth. And they found that uh, the effects of medical quarantine to mental health includes uh, PTSD, your post-traumatic stress disorder, confusion, and anger. And stressors that are related to these negative effects are longer quarantine duration, infection fears, boredom, frustration, inadequate supplies, inadequate information, financial loss, and stigma. And other more small-scale studies on the same topic, uh, i just like to highlight one on SARS where they quarantined hospital staff for 9 days and they found that being quarantined was most predictive of symptoms of acute stress and these people also experienced things like exhaustion, detachment, mood changes, cognitive changes, and deteriorating work performance. And these effects are actually uh, long-term. They found that three years, even three years later, after the SARS outbreak, being quarantined was a predictor of PTSD in the same cluster of hospital staff. And long-term effects include alcohol abuse or dependency, and uh, these are more positively associated with those who were quarantined and those who were working in high-risk locations. And other long-term effects are like avoidant behaviours, vigilant hand-washing, and delayed return to normal, normal life. Um, there is a, a, also a study on undergraduates. This would be uh, uh, appropriate for you to know. Okay. Uh, there is actually no difference between those who are quarantined and those who are not quarantined with relation to general mental health issues and PTSD. And uh, they postulated that maybe this is due to a younger age 
and lesser responsibilities uh, compared to working adults. Okay, I find the last studies really interesting. <laughs> yeah. That the being quarantined and not quarantined gives you the same effect of PTSD. So it essentially says that whether you are in a room by yourself or you're trapped inside your head, <laughs> you still have the same effects. Ah uh, yes, that means uh that there is no difference whether you are quarantined or not quarantined. Yeah. So in regards to this pandemic of COVID nineteen, is there any room for research? Oh yes, definitely. Um, because as we know, a pandemic is an unique occurrence with political, economic, social, and health implications. So, not one pandemic is ever the same with the other, and it is more so because it happens in different times. And the effects of social isolation seen in a pandemic decades ago will be very different from that of、uh, what we are experiencing now. So research findings will actually be valuable because it will impact practice and inform things like preventive strategies and treatment directions. I see. Okay. So、um, basically, there is. Some area of research that must be done for this pandemic. Yeah. So moving on to another area of COVID nineteen,、mm-hmm. some people are only practicing social distancing because they are afraid of contracting the disease, but it's not out of their own free will to stop the spreading of disease or to flatten the curve. So essentially, I think they might view others as a threat to them if others have symptoms. Of COVID nineteen, like a cough. So, I think this could be due to their lack of knowledge towards the disease and the purpose of the lockdown. But it is understandable since it's a new virus after all, and there is not much awareness amongst the general population yet.、Mm-hmm. How do you foresee this type of mindset towards social distancing to affect the psychological well-being of the overall community and? Could this type of mindset actually further worsen an individual's state of loneliness? Um. Well, first we have to understand that everyone have a myriad of reasons in complying with the illness prevention measures like social distancing, personal hygiene, and、uh, etc. And、uh, this reason can be fear of、uh, the threat of getting infected, threat of passing the infection to loved ones, and even fear of penalties. Impose when they infringe on the rules, like、uh, what was stated in the movement restriction order. So for people who abide by the rules solely due to fear of getting infected, to probably lack awareness and knowledge about the disease itself and restriction orders. On an individual level,、uh, this group of people may have a more heightened sense of anxiety. Obsessions, and they may strictly isolate themselves more than what everyone else is doing, and thus increasing the risk of psychological pathology like depression, anxiety disorders, and even suicide.、Uh, on a community level, they may create a false sense of alarm and panic among others, especially if their flawed understanding about the illness and quarantine is、uh, spread to other people. Say、uh, via social media, for example. Hmm. So, relating to what you have just said, 
Is there anything that we can do to maintain that social bond despite being isolated physically? Oh, sure, sure. What we have now, we're using technology. We have our smartphones, tablets, laptop, desktop, uh, even our old uh, phones, phone calls, text messages, and not to mention those online platforms, you know, so many types of social media, video conferencing apps. So you, we, we can still maintain social connectedness in uh, the virtual manner. However, um, I would like to remind that everyone should practice caution on the amount of time spent using such technologies because excessive use may lead to addiction and other adverse mental health effects like mood changes, poor sleep quality, poor attention, and it can also affect our physical health like vision or uh, fatigue, muscle aches and pains due to poor body postures. Um, besides maintaining social connectedness, we should also focus on other aspects that uh, are also equally important like self-care. So things like a balanced diet, adequate exercise, adequate rest and sleep, and finally build a sense of purpose and meaning into our daily routine because things have changed now we're no longer doing uh, things at home and at work we are everything is in the home so you need to have a balanced number of activities that actually give you a sense of pleasure and or achievement i hope that all your tips would be really useful to our audience at this point of time so before we go for a five seconds break I'll just recap what we've discussed so far. In short, we spoke about the effects of isolation on our mental health, the right mindset to approaching self-quarantine, and ways to remain socially connected despite the physical distance. We also delved into the various outbreaks in our history, the relevant studies on social isolation and mental health, and why we still can't adapt to being alone. Now, let's take a break. And welcome back. I hope everyone had a good break. So now let's move on from self-isolation and loneliness to anxiety and the unpredictable future. Mm -hmm. So no one knows about how this pandemic is going to play out. I'm sure a lot of us are just waiting for some good news like whether there is going to be any indication that the MCO is going to end or whether there is a drop in cases or whether the next six how the next six months are going to look like in fact i have been looking at the kkm website several times a day just hoping for a change and it's not helping that new information about the disease progression is updated almost by the hour and on top of that there is misinformation elsewhere that tends to provoke unnecessary panic so the situation I just mentioned just now, where the media, um, the situation that I just mentioned just now, where people are looking for information, is called panic scrolling by the media. How then should people deal with the overload of information then? Okay. Uh, first off, yes, you are right. There's a lot of information out there. You don't know what is what, which is true, which is accurate. So we really need to identify reliable sources of information. 
uh, and not information spread via social media with unidentified sources and also do not spread them on your part because they may likely be false and harmful to others who receive them so seek out reliable sources uh, second is to limit the time spent seeking and consuming those information by consumption i mean reading watching listening and finally devote a time for such information in a day for example for half an hour or an hour or so in the evening not like uh, scrolling or checking on your phone all day and oh yes one thing is to really accept that there's only so much we can know or understand and also accept that everybody else is facing uncertainty and searching for an answer to contain this infection mm-hmm. I'm sure everyone feels the same way about that so what Regarding the reliable sources that you mentioned just now, what are the reliable sources that you would recommend to people to stay ahead with the accurate information? Uh, well, for our local population in Malaysia, I would say the official website or the Facebook page of uh, Ministry of Health Malaysia, um, international ones like our World Health Organization website, WHO, and your uh, CDC Centers for Disease Control and Prevention website. Uh, as for news, probably the STAR, Astro Awani, uh, or Malaysia Kini, because all these offer updates, disease statistics, and more accurate information about the disease itself, its progress, illness management, and preventive measures. Okay, so audience, please take the tip from the doctor. She knows what she's saying. Just now we have mentioned about panic scrolling. Now there's another group of people who are panic buying. Oh yes. So people are hoarding face masks and hand sanitizers which have affected the safety of healthcare professionals who are also the frontliners. And this panic buying has also affected the community who are relying on a day-to-day income with a shortage of basic necessities. So, Dr. Cindy, Have you ever heard about the trend of stocking up on toilet paper? Oh yes, (laughs) it's it's hilarious, right? (laughs) Well, but there is a sort of an explanation to that. I would say that um, the the hoarding of toilet paper is a form of panic response to stock up on essentials. Toilet paper is something that all of us need. But uh, most of us would argue that it's not as essential as food or water, you see. However, toilet paper is common, is easily available, and is relatively cheap compared to most things. So uh, when an anxious person uh, stocks up on what they feel are essential, something that they'll need, maybe not now, in the future, their anxiety actually eases. However, there's also this snowball effect. Because if someone goes to the store and see empty shelves of what used to be there, or if they were being fed information that indicates toilet paper will be short in supply, more people are more likely to try to find the product elsewhere and stock up and hence causing more shortage in supply. Hmm. Thank you for enlightening us on that. So I hope no one is laughing at no one about this anymore. Um, so panic buying, as what I said, or stocking up on toilet paper, which is an example, is actually due to people's fear of the unknown, right? Yeah. So what do you think about the psychological reasons behind why people are afraid of the unknown? 
Um, well, fear is actually a vital response to physical and emotional danger. And it's been there throughout evolution. And it's actually helpful. Fear is actually helpful because if people don't feel fear, they won't be able to protect themselves from danger. You see? Yeah. Um, but uh, in the context of fear of the unknown, there's always this uh, perception that the risk that they are facing is really high or the threat that they are facing is very severe uh, versus perception that their ability to cope is low meaning low resources to, to, to cope with whatever threat or risk is there and hence this was because high levels of anxiety and fear hmm okay but on a serious note um, apart from panic scrolling and panic buying, there is this fear of the possibility of losing jobs and incomes. Mm. And that has much more dire consequences on the entire family than an individual. And as for medical students like me, I am fearing that my education is going to be affected since I'm out of touch with my clinical teachings and some of the others even have to extend their semesters. I must say, Dr. Cindy, this is a worrying thought for me and I'm sure for many other students as well. Hence, in such critical situations, how can we cope with anxiety associated with the fear of unpredictability? Okay, um, this is a broad topic. I'll first start off with uh, what is not helpful. So first thing, worrying is not helpful. It's time-consuming. Is mentally and emotionally draining and it doesn't solve any problems. Most of the time when we worry, we actually catastrophize uh, something. And uh, another thing is spending large amount of time and attention in front of screens looking for information, you know, just to uh, help reduce the worrying, but most of the time it doesn't help too. So let's look at what is helpful. Focus on the things that are actually within your control. First things first, self-care. Again, balance diet, keep yourself hydrated, engage in exercise. I know it is uh, difficult now, you know, because we can't go outdoors and many of us do not have exercise equipment in our homes, but you can still do simple exercises that do not need any equipment. And exercise uh, would increase endorphins, your feel-good uh, hormones. And besides that, having adequate sleep and rest. Second, uh, we do need to continuously educate ourselves and keep ourselves abreast with authentic and accurate information. But uh, bearing in mind what we've mentioned earlier, information management, find something reliable, limit number of times you seek those information in the day. Third, uh, we because because our routine is sort of upside down now, so we, we need to really sit down and plan a routine that works for us. We need to have balanced time for both work and leisure. But, and it's also a good time for us to learn something new, right? Uh, and fourth, I would say is relaxation techniques. I'm sure you heard of this, Siva. Yep. Uh, things like uh, deep breathing exercises, mindfulness um, progressive muscles relaxation uh, even meditation and spending time in uh, nature but nature is a bit difficult now if you're talking about public parks but you know if you happen to have uh, 
a home with a, a, a large yard or something, you can always go out there and enjoy nature. And social connectedness, we have also mentioned this earlier. We also need to verbalize our experience, talk about our feelings and worries to someone. Even if you can't talk to someone, write them down, keep a diary or something, and it helps to uh, purge those negative emotions. Um, for those who are experiencing very severe psychological issues, I would advise that they seek professional help. Uh, they may need medication and some of them psychotherapy may be the answer. And finally, um, we really need to shift the focus from ourselves in this time of uh, stress to other people or other matters that are more positive and uplifting. I'll give you an example. We can invest our time on giving, engaging in acts of services like uh, helping a family member, a neighbor, an elderly that we know of, things like getting groceries or other essentials or simply talk to them, you know, ask them how they are. And also taking stock of how much that is going on in our life right now, accepting it and remembering the good things that are still in our life. Uh, I, I think with that, shifting our focus to other people and other matters would really help us, uh, you know, in improving our general emotion and, and help us gain distance from the anxiety and low mood. Okay, so basically, if you were to summarize this into one sentence, you overcome your anxiety by diverting your attention to something that you like, right? Yes, and something that is productive. And something that's productive, okay. Since we are looking at a future unknown, this anxiety can build up to a point that can cause emotional breakdown. For people, let's say people who are unable to follow the tips that you just gave out for some reason. So before we go to that, how can we know whether this is anxiety symptoms or is it a panic attack? Okay, um, anxiety, uh, I'll start off with panic attacks because uh, it is uh, more peculiar. Panic attack comes on very suddenly. It escalates and it peaks within seconds or minutes. It involves this intense and overwhelming fear or sense of losing control and is often accompanied by terrifying symptoms like uh, raising heartbeat, chest pain or chest discomfort, shortness of breath, nausea, choking sensations and fainting episodes. So you feel like as if you're going to die at the moment. It's very terrifying. Anxiety on the other hand is more general uh, they include worry, distress, fear, and other bodily symptoms, probably similar to that of panic but less intense. And it is usually related to uh, anticipating a stressful situation, something we call anticipatory anxiety. And it comes on more gradually compared to panic attack and can last for hours. However, um, anxiety and panic attack can coexist. It's not uncommon. Okay, so let's. what should people do if they are suddenly faced with a severe anxiety or panic attack? Okay, uh, when you, if you begin to sense that um, the anxiety is uh, escalating, you need to start to take slow deep breaths. 
and feel the abdomen rise with each breath that you are taking. Inhale and exhale slowly in counts of four, for example. Try to focus on your breathing, close your eyes if you need to, and repeat this cycle until your breathing slows. This is something we call deep breathing exercises. And uh, the other thing is probably just to recognize and accept what you are experiencing. Know, be aware that this is actually a reaction of fear and is not life-threatening. And remind yourself that the symptoms will pass and you will be fine afterwards. Mm-hmm. Okay deep breathing exercises. I'll keep that in mind. Next, to just recap the important issues, we explored the strategies of handling the ever-increasing updates about COVID-19 and which reliable resources to look at. We also talked about the psychology behind the fear of the unknown, methods of facing anxiety due to unpredictability, ways to differentiate between anxiety and panic attack, and how to deal with severe emotional breakdown. Finally, after all our discussion today, what would be your key takeaway messages for the audience who have tuned in today? Okay, um, uh, it would be to take good care of yourself because it's going to be a prolonged period of uncertainty and stress and know that everyone is actually feeling the effects and all of us are learning to cope so you're not alone. And finally, focus on self-care physically and mentally. Uh, manage your information carefully, set a meaningful and productive daily routine, and maintain social connectedness. That's all. Okay. Alright, Doctor. Thank you for your time. It has been really an insightful conversation, and I hope it has been beneficial to our audience. So, thank you for tuning in this week, and stay tuned for episode 2 next week. Until then, stay home, stay safe, and take care. Stay home, stay safe. Bye.